I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. I just went to Amazon and I did a search for leadership and it came up with over 100,000 responses. Seems this day we have more books on leadership than we do leaders. In doing a similar search for executive team development, I came up with less than 3,000. And if you go into any organization and you talk about making some important change, you always hear the saying that we should start at the top. We should start with the executive team, which makes a lot of sense. My next guest on the business of intuition is Mr. Mike Goldman, who has written an absolutely fascinating and very important and timely book called Breakthrough Leadership Team. Mike is a nationally recognized speaker, author, and leadership team coach. He has well over 30 years of experience consulting and coaching companies that include local entrepreneurs and Fortune 500s. Throughout his career at Accenture and Deloitte Consulting, he's helped brands like Verizon, Disney, Chanel, Liz Claybird, Dillard's, and many others. In 2007, he started his own company, Performance Breakthrough, to help mid-sized companies achieve dramatic business growth. And he does this by working with leadership teams to ensure that they have the right people, strategies, and execution habits for growth. Mike has really hit a nail when it comes to focusing at the leadership team. He's got a wonderful process and he also includes how important intuition is in that process. Let's listen in. So Mike, again, thanks for joining me on the Business of Intuition. And those of you who obviously you can't see us because this is audio, but behind Mike on his right shoulder, there is this beautiful bookshelf with a lot of books that I seem to remember myself, but there is a sign, looks like a street sign that says Hester Street. And I've seen this show up in a couple of your other videos. What's the story about Hester Street? Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. Thanks for asking that question because it's a it's a really, really important story and I have it there as a reminder. Hester Street is a street in Lower Manhattan, which is now part of Chinatown. But back in 1907, when my grandfather was born, and we just called him Pop, when Pop was born back in 1907, that was where a lot of the Jewish and Italian immigrants settled in Lower Manhattan. My grandfather was the best man I ever knew. He was the strongest man I ever knew, incredibly proud, incredibly hardworking. Uh, We lived in an apartment building in the Bronx in New York, and they lived on the fifth floor. We lived on the sixth. So we saw them every day. And my grandfather, when he was in his early 80s, was driving a cab. Not very well, because he couldn't see very well anymore, and he got into a few accidents. And uh, one day, he got fired from the cab company. And he was too proud to tell us, so my grandmother told us he was fired. And that was pretty much the last day I saw my grandfather as he really was. Because what happened to him is once he had that forced retirement on him, he sat in his chair and watched TV Mm. and kind of wasted away for two years until he passed away of some heart complications. What stuck with me from that was that retirement should be a dirty word. And I've kind of dedicated my life 
uh, my coaching, my speaking, my books. I've dedicated my life to helping people feel more fulfilled by what they do for a living and keeping that fire burning until the day the fire goes out, uh, which I hope is a very long time right now for all of us. But finding that next dragon to slay, keeping that fire burning so we feel useful, that's what I'm all about. So I keep that Hester Street sign behind me. And now that we're all virtual and I see myself on Zoom and all these videos, I get to see that sign more often. I don't even have to turn around to see it. Um, it's a great reminder to me. That's a great story. Remind me of my dad. Um, I remember maybe six or eight months prior to his passing. I noticed that fire, that twinkle in his eyes start to dim. And I found it very hard being that I loved and adored him so much to see the life sort of slowly drain out of him. And then quite frankly, I got pet, I got upset. I wanted him to stay here, you know? And so the reminder that you give me and all of us is to keep that fire going and to keep that passion. And I want to hear more about that. You mentioned 1907 being the, the birth of your grandfather. Was that right? Yes. My wife's father was born in 1907 as well and he's since passed but one of the things that I was amazed by was in this one person's lifespan because he ended up living to about 97 or so he saw tremendous change obviously in the economy and technology more so than any other 97 year old in prior history probably have ever seen now we're going through COVID now we're going through a lockdown you mentioned the virtuality of your world and I'm kind of reminded of uh, an assessment that you probably are aware of, a lot of people are aware of, called the Hogan assessments. And one of them has to do with derailers. You know, when you have a strength that you overplay or you use in the wrong way, which then becomes your downfall. Are you seeing that showing up? Because stress is usually the tipping point for people to go from strength to derailer. What sort of things are you noticing in your clients right now? There's a historic amount of change and stress happening what's what are you looking at what are you aware of in your clients eyes as you talk to them over your zoom meetings what are they going through how is it changing the face of leadership or or is it changing we just need to use these old tools and the tools that you've talked about in your books maybe i'll start off with the overall theme and then i'll uh, of an answer and then dig a little deeper i actually don't think it changes what great leadership is. I think it has made a lot of those same points more important. It has multiplied the impact of screwing it up hmm. in a short period of time, way more often. But I don't think there's a lot different. But what I'm seeing, you know, it's interesting. When, when this all, back in March, when it seemed like every day the world was completely changing, Every day it was like, oh my God, what's going on today? You know, and, and people were freaked out by that. And how are we going to work virtually? Now everybody's going to be home. We're going to lose productivity. And then throughout April and May, there seemed to be this almost sense of normal. And I'll put normal in, in air quotes, although you can't see me. It's in air quotes. This, <laughs> this sense of, of normal where it's like, okay, I think I can get used to this work from home thing. And you started to see studies come out that were actually more productive working from home. And you saw Jack Dorsey announced that nobody from Twitter ever had to go back to work again. We're going to do it all virtually. And it's interesting because I've seen a little bit of a boomerang effect where that was April and May, starting in June, I started to hear, and it's only gotten worse, people 
starting to really get overwhelmed and stressed and, and say, you know what, this work from home thing seemed pretty good and there are some good things about it, but man, I want to get out of here and mm. I want to see people again. And especially for people that, you know, have kids at home who weren't in school and, and how it was impacting their productivity. And, and I think you're starting to see productivity go the, over, the other way. I think you're starting to see people get overwhelmed and get a little burnt out. So that metaphor of, of losing the fire in your belly that we talked about early, starting to feel, have people get burnt out. And it becomes really, really important that as a leader, it's real easy now, especially as a lot of companies are still focused on how are we going to survive this? They're looking down. The metaphor I use is they're looking down to try to get through the day, get through the week, get through the month. And I think great leaders now need to start looking up and saying, you know what, before all this started, we had this three-year vision and this 10-year vision, I hope, of what they were going to become and the impact they were going to have on the world. Leaders have to pick their heads up and start looking at that again and inspiring their, 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 their teams to look at that again, because there's only so long you could look down and focus on survival before it gets really, really stressful. We've got to find that next, I always like to use the term, that next dragon to slay. Again, we'll keep with the fire uh, theme here. That next <laughs> yeah. dragon to slay and say, what are we going to do? You know, so I think leaders have to deal with that overwhelm in the midst of every, all the, the stuff going on, not just COVID, but all of the, the, social unrest and political unrest and everything going on, leaders have to be more inspiring than ever and get people to say, yeah, I know today is really hard, but let's remember what it's all about. Let's look forward and remember what it's all about and, and keep that fire burning and get people excited again. And then the other thing, you know, I'd say is it's really easy for leaders these days to feel like they need to put on the superhero cape hmm. and say, here's the way you're going to do it. And here's my routine every morning. And I meditate and I do this and I'm feeling great. And you need to feel great too. And most of them are, are putting this mask on because they feel like, and, and I get it, it's coming from the right place. They feel like they need to be strong for their team. But what's happening is, they're making, they, they don't realize they're doing this, but they're making it harder for their team to be honest with them about what's really going on. Mm -hmm. In this environment, and it sounds counterintuitive, leaders need to show more vulnerability. They need to share what they're going through too. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't point your webcam at you curled up like a baby in the corner crying <laughs> because you don't know what to do next, but take the superhero cape off. Be a human being now is the time where your coaching skills need to be stronger than they've ever been. And you need to have better listening skills than you ever had because you need to listen to your people. You need to understand what go they're going through. You need to help them help coach them through it. And if you're a superhero, they don't even feel comfortable sharing that stuff with you. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So what I wrote down here, I'm taking notes here, is around focusing on looking up, more purpose-centered, showing more vulnerability. Coaching skills are going to be extremely important and a lot more listening. That's, that sounds like a really good recipe here. 
the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, you, you, I want to hear more about your book and some of the other key principles that you are wanting to communicate. But the thing that I am curious about is how do you take these great ideas that you have and intellectually I go, God, this just is absolutely right, Mike. You are right on the money. I agree with you. And the world is what it is. I'm feeling some stress. How do I translate this into a habit? How do I make it stick? How does a good idea become a behavior? Yeah, I think that is not just important for you as an individual, although it starts there, but it's really important for a team. And, and you know, my, the book that I just launched back in April is called Breakthrough Leadership Team. And I truly believe that, you know, as the leadership team goes, so goes the company. Mm. The first chapter of that book is all about self-leadership. The whole book is about the team. But if you can't lead yourself, then good luck. You know, you're not going to lead the team. And especially for those listening that may be the CEO or the founder or the owner of an organization. John Maxwell talked many years ago about the law of the lid. The law of the lid says you're never going to grow any faster than the leader grows. Right. So if you don't have that self-leadership, that disempowering negative stuff is going to cascade down. And I think it starts when you, when you think about yourself as an individual, as simple as it sounds, it's simple, but it's not easy, is it starts with focusing on what you want. Many of us, most of the time, focus on what we don't want. And that's a big difference. Think about a, if you're driving a race car around the track, if you're focused on not hitting the wall, guess what you're going to do? Probably hit, you're the, hit wall. the wall. Right. Because that's where you're at. You know, I, I do a lot of cycling. I, I go out and do these 40 mile bike rides on the weekend. And if I'm riding my bike and I see a pothole in the street, what I used to do, my wife would yell at me because I do this in the car too. I would focus on not hitting that pothole. And when I focus on not hitting the pothole, my bike goes right over the damn pothole. I need to focus about two feet to the left of the pothole. And then I'm fine. And it's interesting. The reason why that's so important is because, you know, and I'm sure there's been a lot of studies done, but there was a study done many years ago that said there's about 2 million bits of information per second that hit us. Yep. Now I'm sure. Now that study I think was done 20 or 30 years ago. I'm it's sure probably it's, increased. Well, two million then. It's probably 200 million now. <laughs> exactly. But there's two million bits of information hitting us, and I don't remember if the number is 26 or 100. I think it's 126. We can only process 126 bits per second out of two million. That's 0. 0.000 whatever percent of two million. So what does that mean? Reality is this two million bits of information. We only focus on 126 bits. What that means is we make our own reality. Everybody's reality is different. It depends what you focus on. So mm. if you focus on what you don't want, that's what you're going to get. If you focus on what you want. So my focus from the beginning of all of this, I tried to ingrain this and inspire my clients too, is I said, okay, this COVID thing is horrible. Hundreds of thousands of people across the world are dying, 136,000, whatever we're up to, or when this airs, whatever we're up to in the US. I would never say, thank God for COVID, what a great thing, by any stretch. But I said from the beginning, what I'm going to focus on is six months from now, I know that 
the pivots I need to make due to what's going on are going to make my business, I'm going to make sure that they're going to make my business stronger than it's ever been. And I know I'm going to look back and say, that was a horrible time, but oh my God, my business in, is in, in a much better place than it was before. My ability to work virtually with my clients is light years what it was. My uh, ability to get my message out there by, I'm in the middle of, I just created a, an in-home video studio and I'm creating an online course based on the concepts of my book. I never would have thought of that if it wasn't for this, but I now that I know people are more willing to do things, uh, get it virtually. So I think we have to focus on what we want. And when you focus on what you want, again, that fire is going to burn. Mm. And instead mm. of it needing willpower to create those habits, you're going to do it because you want to do it. And one of the habits I created is I get up, about two hours before I need to every morning before whatever my first meeting is. And I start my day off with an hour long walk. I look forward to that because I know on that walk, I focus on what I want and I come back almost every time with 15 or 20 little recordings on my phone of ideas that mm. just came to me while I was walking. Mm -hmm. I don't need willpower to keep that habit. I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning's walk already because I know I'm going to come up with a bunch more ideas. Exactly. I know what you're talking about. I do a kind of a ritual with running. It doesn't always happen in the morning, but it's always sometime during the day. And by the time I come back, I'm just sort of full of ideas that I would have never gotten any other way. So I love this ritual part that you have. So Mike, let's just assume that I am one of your potential clients out there. And we developed this really kick-ass strategic plan back in let's say 2019, you know, like when most people do, getting all ready for the year. The year hits, we start off strong. The first beginning of the quarter, numbers are looking good. COVID now all of a sudden takes the legs out from under us and everything seems unknown. Virtuality is now the, the flavor of the day. We're looking at numbers daily around how many people have been infected. We're trying to figure out what the market's looking like. And I, I kind of know that it makes sense to look ahead and look up but uh, it, the world just seems pretty unsafe right now. It seems un, like there's, there's no guideposts anymore. What do you say to a person who is just trying to get through the month to the month and survive and make payroll around this topic of thinking six months out, a year out? A couple of things. One is I happen to think that part of the way you make payroll today is getting really excited about the things you're doing now that are, going to, that are going to benefit the business six months out and nine months out. Mm -hmm. I think the worst thing you can do to try to make payroll today is focus on how do we bring more cash in today? Because I'll tell you that one way to do that is call all of your current clients that have anything outstanding, any outstanding payables with you and lean on them really hard to pay today. Now, by the way, is that going to bring more cash in today? Sure. Is that going to piss off your clients so as soon as they get a chance to go somewhere else, they're going to say, hey, Mike sounded like he cared about us, but now we know who he really is. Mm. Right. You could make a lot of really bad decisions that alienate clients, alienate your superstar employees. So one, I think, I don't think you get anywhere by treading water. I, th I think if you were literally treading water, look and see where that, where that island is 
you know, 100 yards down there and start swimming that way. You keep treading water, I promise you, you're going to drown. So that's one thing. The other thing that, that uh, I thought of when you were giving the scenario of, of where a lot of people realistically are today is that doesn't really change the way I, I have always planned, not always, I would say over the last 10 years or so, the way I've planned with my clients and the way I plan. Back in the old days when I worked for a company that's now called Accenture, mm -hmm. uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, <laughs> company called Deloitte, we used to create these unbelievable, we take a few months with a client, we created these amazing five-year strategic plans, PowerPoint slides with graphs and colors you've never seen before, beautiful, millions of dollars, and then they'd sit on a shelf and gather dust. Absolutely. And the reason they did is because three to five months after you created them, the world changed. It wasn't because they were bad plans or bad people. The world changed. So what I do with my clients, and COVID has just kind of sped it up a little bit. It hasn't changed it, is we don't create a three-year strategic plan or a five-year strategic plan. We plan every 90 days. And yes, at the beginning of the year, we're going to look at some long-term planning and we're going to look at year planning. But every 90 days, we are rethinking our longer term and planning the next 90 days, planning the next 90 days. It is not a PowerPoint sitting on the shelf gathering dust. It's a living, breathing plan. So what I did with some of my clients is we very quickly said, you know, back in March, we said, you know, where people used to say 90 days, I can't plan 90 days. I need to plan out the next year. And I'd say, no, 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 we're going to plan 90 days. Starting in March, it was like they were saying, I can't plan out 90 days. I can only plan out for tomorrow. Right, right. And then what, what, what I would say, all right, let's do a midpoint. Let's plan the month. So I did shorten it, said, let's plan the month. But as we went from March to April to June to July, now we're back out doing 90 days again. Because again, I said, you can't just focus on treading water. We've got to go further out there. But it does need to be a living, breathing plan. And it has, has caused me and my clients in a very healthy way to go back to those plans, even to go back to the, the most fundamental piece, like let's, understand, let's define who your core customer is. COVID-19 has changed that. Yep. It may have changed who your core customer is, maybe. If it didn't change who they are, it absolutely changed what's going through their head right now and what's important to them. Yep. So you've got to go back and rework those things. You can't rely on what you did a year ago, and you can't just tread water today. You've got to keep working on those things. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people have sort of thrown the baby out of the bathwater and said all those plans that we created last year for this year are no longer effective or no longer viable. And I've got the same message back. We'll pull them back up and see which ones are still making sense. I mean, you may not be able to do everything you set up, all the strategies that you had planned, but maybe a few of them are still viable and, and reinvest your time in terms of maybe a shorter time frame. I think that's great advice. You know, I want to go back to something you said earlier, Mike, about, you know, this 126 bits of information that you can take in while we have billions and billions hitting us all the time. You know, and the topic of this, uh, you know, well, not this the topic, but the name of this podcast is called The Business of Intuition. And I'm wondering what your take is on that. Do you notice anything regarding leaders, while they may have these great plans and they might... Um, you know, relying on a lot of facts and information and data of which we need to, which is very, very important. But is there a space for the senior executive, for the mid-level manager to trust their gut? How does that show up 
in the work that you do with your clients? Not only is there space for that, there's a requirement for that. And I'm trying to remember the number. It was uh, Colin Powell, I think, has a, what does he call it? A, I think it's the 4070 law. And I may be getting the numbers off, but only mm. by a little bit. I'll look it up. I'll try and get the right one. But I think yeah. it's 4070. And he basically says, when you're, and I, and I buy into this a thousand percent, when you're making a decision, if you have less than 40% of the information you think you need for, to make the decision, don't make the decision. Mm. If it's less than 40%, you don't have enough information. If you're waiting for more than 70%, you're overanalyzing it. Mm. So what I coach my clients on is having a bias towards action. And that bias towards action says, you know what, we're going to get this plan 60 or 70% right. And then we're going to take action on it. action partially based on yes, intuition and gut feel is part of it. And part of it is even just saying, let's get 65, 70% right. Let's take action, learn and pivot. Rather than, than think we've got to wait for all the information to come in. If you're waiting that long, by the time all the information comes in, it's wrong and it's out of date. Right. So, you know, so I think there, there is, is, is a requirement for, for intuition and gut feel. We can't afford to gather all that information. And I think your intuition and gut feel, even if you're not quite sure where it's coming from, it's just that feeling in the pit of your stomach. I think it's based on a lot more data that's going on in your head than we than we even realize. Well, yeah, it gets back to that number, that 127 or 126 bits that you were talking about is I think that the intuitive brain actually can take in a lot more, although we may not have language to understand it. We start to see pattern recognition or subconscious starts to come into play. And we actually have a physical uh, virtue, like a, a visceral feeling around this feels right, this doesn't feel right. And, you know, the more I ask these leaders and these business people like yourself about you know, key decisions they made, you know, how much of it was based just on facts. Like, well, some of it was, a lot of it was just based on a strong gut feel that ended up being correct. Yeah. And the, the other thing you can do, I don't know if you're a big Jim Collins fan, but yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. In, uh, his big book is, is, is good to great, obviously, but in great by choice, which was the next one, he talks about this idea. I talk to my clients about all the time, which is fire bullets and then cannonballs. <laughs> yeah, right? Don't use all your gunpowder to find yeah. that one big cannonball that misses. So the, one way to, to use that intuition, but not risk the business or risk the house on it is to say, and I use this, this language with my clients all the time and say, all right, you think that's a great idea. You think this is a new way to go. How could we fire a bullet? or two, or three, to make sure that, that we're guiding that a little bit and maybe getting some more information before you buy that, fire that big cannonball and say, we're going to bet the business on my gut feel. Right. Fire some bullets first before you fire that big cannonball. Yeah, good, remember. good, good reminder. So tell us more about this new book that you got and how is it different than other things that you've written on? It's called Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of passionate organizations, very proud of that one. This new one's called Breakthrough Leadership Team. And what makes Breakthrough Leadership Team different is, you know, and, and it's funny, I, I woke up middle of the night, splitting headache one night, couldn't fall back to sleep, random thoughts running through my head. And this was about a year and a half ago. And one of the thoughts coming through my head was just a different way to craft what I did for a living. Now I work with business owners and leadership teams to help their companies grow. And, and I always thought if you said, Mike, what do you do? What do, I'd say, well, I help companies grow. 
and just, it hit me, and this wasn't rocket science, it was just a different way to craft what I did. I said, you know what, what I really do is, is I create great leadership teams. And those great leadership teams create great companies. Those great companies could create, create fulfilling environments that impact the world and, and, and create the world we live in. So I said, that's interesting. I, I read about a book a week. I'm an avid reader. And I said, if what I do is create great leadership teams, and I've been doing it for, I've been coaching and consulting for 30 years, creating great leadership teams for about the last 15, I said, I probably ought to read a book on it if that's what I do for a living. And I don't remember reading any books on that. I've read hundreds of books on leadership. I've read dozens of books on team building, but I don't remember ever reading a book on how do you structure a leadership team? How do you develop your leadership team? How do you create culture on a leadership team? How do you find the right people for your leadership team? How do you execute with discipline on your leadership team? So I went on Amazon, I couldn't find a book. And I looked for a while and I even asked my coach and Mike said, and my coach said, Mike, I don't think the book exists. I said, well, damn it. I, I guess I've got to write that book. <laughs> so that's the yeah. book I wrote. And I do really think it's different. Um, and I think it's going to help a, a lot of companies and a lot of leaders uh, create that great team. And once they create that great team, that's going to cascade down to the rest of the organization. Cause I truly don't believe, and I've never seen any, I've never seen anyone create a sustainably great company without having a great leadership team. Now, when I say sustainably great, I don't mean somebody came up with a great idea and a year they sold it to Google for a billion dollars. You can do that with a great idea and maybe have a great idea and not a great leadership team and you sell to Google. But if you're one of those folks that you love doing what you're doing and you want to build a great company, I believe any problem you have with your company, if you think it's a problem with your sales process, it's not. It's a problem on your leadership team. If you think you've got a customer service issue, you don't. You've got a problem on your leadership team. The root of all those problems is on the leadership team. I think you're absolutely spot on. I can't tell you, we could talk for hours on this topic. I know that once I was reading a book by John Kotzenbach called The Wisdom of Teams, you probably know of it if you're an avid reader. Yeah. And he was talking about that teams at the top are sometimes the hardest to form because they have such strong egos and they had made it being the leader of a department for so many years. And all of a sudden they had to be a team member and the roles completely shifted. They didn't know how to collaborate. They just knew how to lead. You believe it, your head, your head's shaking. Those of you who don't know that you just did a big, huge yes. I think I agree with that. So my question is, what are some of the things that you could impart briefly around how do we then create that great leadership team? Because I'm all in. I think you're absolutely spot on. Yeah, I think, well, I said before, it's got to start with self-leadership, number yep. one, uh, for everybody on the leadership team. Number two, most leadership teams don't, they don't proactively figure out how to structure the leadership team. The reason the CEO finally says, that's it, I can't also head up sales anymore. I've got to hire a VP of sales is because sales opportunities fall through the cracks. The reason why they say, oh my God, we, we now need a head of HR. We've never, we've never had a head of HR before is because 5A players left and your culture is horrible. Mm. You wait until there's this fire to put out and then you put it out by adding someone to the leadership team. And you know, I actually talk about in the book, creating, believe it or not, a 12-quarter forecast, financial, what you're selling, how many clients, how many full-time equivalent employees you'll have, and proactively go quarter by quarter and say, what does is, what is the structure of my leadership team need to look like? 
at each quarter mm. in order to support that business. So I know I need a VP of marketing six months before I really need that VP of marketing. Mm. And I can either breed somebody internally or I can go out and start looking. So I think proactively structuring the team. So self-leadership, number one, proactively structuring the team, number two, finding the right people. I don't think there's no room for B and C players on a leadership team. It's got to be all A players. So having a process to find the right people is number three. Number four is you've got to define the right culture on the leadership team. And I talk about the three Bs in culture. Having a set of values that are non-negotiable, number one. Having a vision, and everybody on the leadership team needs to be an evangelist of that vision. And number three, we already talked about, which is vulnerability on the Mm. leadership team. And that cascades down. So the fourth thing is right culture. The fifth is got to execute with discipline, especially in this environment where things feel so chaotic. Mm. The way you add those guardrails is to have more discipline than ever. What does our meeting rhythm look like? What does our planning rhythm look like? What are our top three priorities we're going to stick to? What are we measuring? How do we know we're successful? So it's executing with discipline. And lastly, and maybe most important, because everything falls down if you don't have this, you've got to keep developing and improving as a team. If you're not learning and growing, you're dying. So you've got to make sure you're assessing your people to make sure that you're growing and you've got the, the, the right number of A players on the team. You've got to make sure that you're learning, developing, coaching day in and day out and making everybody, including yourself, better all the time. Excellent. Wonderful. Love this stuff. How can people connect with you, Mike? My book, Breakthrough Leadership Team, is available on Amazon. Um, if you love the sound of my uh, New York, New Jersey accent, it's on Audible <laughs> out there too. If you want to listen to me for about seven hours. Um, so that's on Amazon. You can go to my website at mike-goldman.com. The other thing I want to recommend is if you go to breakthroughleadershipteam.com, it will not only tell you more about the book, there's some tools you can download. There's an assessment, a free assessment you can take that looks at those six areas that I just mentioned, and you can assess your team. And you can take that as an individual or better yet, have your leadership team take this assessment. It's a free assessment. You'll get the results back, and it'll tell you where you have opportunities to improve the team. Fantastic. Mike, your work is so important right now, and I really appreciate your time on this. This has been great. Team, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.